Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. When you think of high priest, what do you, what do you think of? What comes to your mind when you think of high priest? It's one of those things that we talk about, and, and now that we've been in Hebrews and we've continued to study this, it's something that has come up before. Actually, last time I got the chance to speak, I talked about the high priest. And this week, we're talking about the great high priest when we look at it. But when you think about high priest, like, what does that, what impact does that have on you? I mean, are you like, well, I don't know. What, that means nothing to me, really. It's a priest, I guess. And what does he do? I really don't, what impact does that have on me today? I have no idea. And that is a great question. So when you think about what a high priest does, um, I have a, a picture here of what a high priest looks like, just to give you a visual of who they are and what they do. All right, so the job of a high priest was to be a mediator. Now, a mediator is a person who attempts to make people, uh, attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. Right? If you think about somebody who's in between, a mediator between two people, it's like a go-between person. Now, as parents, I, I always get this, like, if you're thinking about what a mediator is, you think about being a parent, right? Because that is like the perfect uh, picture of what a mediator is. If you have a child and you want to, what, take them to the doctor or you're taking them out, it's a way that you can communicate for them. You're a mediator for them. Right? Or if you think about, um, I had a younger sibling who was four years younger than me, and we didn't fight that much. Uh, but if you're a parent and you have two siblings, have you ever had two siblings like coming at each other? Like, you're like, what do I do? Um, and I remember over 10 years ago, um, <laughs> uh, Hunter and Ari, my, my son and daughter, uh, they were, and you see them up here on the worship team, and they love each other dearly, uh, very much. Uh, we, I had asked them to do a skit, and we had come in here to work on a skit. And I was, I was happy that they were getting involved. I was very excited about it. And then once uh, they, we started rehearsing, I said, you know, do this, do this. And all of a sudden, it was like this, you know, it was like a, a comment here, and then a comment here, and then a comment here. And all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, it just escalated between the two of them. And I'm like, what do I do? Like, I had no idea what to do. And then Des, who is, like, fantastic, she reminds me of, like, um, uh, Chris Pratt in, like, with raptors. Like, she had her hand this way and this way in between them, like, holding them both back. She was an excellent mediator between them. Like, she was the one who could do that. And that is what it means. It means to come between and then bring them together. So when you think about a mediator, that is what a high priest does. Now, did you know in Dayton, there is a Dayton Mediation Center, uh, and I, I found this very interesting, and I went to uh, the website just to see what it is. The Dayton Mediation Center offers intervention support that can help individuals effectively manage the negative destruction, alienating, and dehumanizing interactions that occur during conflict. So people, this is their job to be mediators, and you see that actually in court and in custody cases and things like that. People step in to mediate. Now, the job of a high priest was even more than just, like, intervention support. There was much more to this. Uh, it was atoning for the sins of the Jews or for the people, um, to mediate between the Jewish people and God. Now, I want you to kind of see the, the shift in that and what, how, what a big thing that that is and what an honor that is, but also what a huge responsibility that is. Um, 
So I would ask you, what is the difference between a pastor and a priest? So if you think about a pastor, what Raleigh and I do, and I love being a pastor more than anything in the world. Um, I'm a shepherd and I'm a teacher. I love to preach and I love to shepherd. I love to counsel and all those things. But am I a mediator between you and God? No, I'm not a mediator. You wouldn't want me as a mediator between you and God. And why is that? It's because there is only one mediator, and that is the great high priest, which is Jesus. He is the great high priest. Now, he has made a way for you and I to have a relationship with God the Father. Uh, Now, we see this comparison here between Jesus and the Jewish high priest. So what I want to do is I want you to understand what this is, what the Jewish high priest actually did. So... uh, in the picture that we had there before, it was the, uh, the temple also. So you see the high priest, and then you also see the temple. Now, God made a way for them to be with, for him to be with the people, and that was in the temple. Um, it was to sense his presence among them. Uh, now, this temple was a tent. Now, to describe it fully, to go in, there was different sections in this temple to help you understand. Uh, now, the whole tabernacle was holy, uh, but there was three uh, areas when you look at this. So there's the outer court, which you see is like the outer, outer uh, outside area there. There was the holy place, which was in the center, which you see the tent there. And then inside of that was even a smaller area, which was called the holy of holies. Uh, now, the priests and Levites ministered in the outer court. They offered sacrifices, what, for sin, for guilt, and that is what, how they helped atone for their sins and for the sins of the people. Now, Uh, Upon entering, a priest would be in the holy place, all right? Now, that is the first tent. Now, when they get in there, there's three different things in there. There is a golden lampstand, which is burning continually, and there is a table for for the bread of presence, which is showbread. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus came, and we read and we studied this through John, which he referred to himself as what? The light of life, or light of the world, and the bread of life, which those are the two things that are sitting there. Now, also, there's an altar of incense, which burned morning and evening. Now, see, at the back of this place, you would go in, and there would be a holy of holy place. Now, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this is where the mercy seat, which is the top, this is where God, uh, God's throne was. Now, he's omnipresent, but this is where he chose to be among his people. It was a special place for God to dwell in the middle of his people. Now, the second chamber was only for the high priest, and this is where, uh, where you see the importance and kind of is, is intimidating and scary because if you were to go into this place and you weren't supposed to be there, you would be struck dead. There is that kind of responsibility, that kind of pressure when you, when you go into there. Now, the high priest would enter the most holy place with smoke from the altar of incense uh, to help shield his view. And what would he do? He would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, something like that to us is like, that's kind of odd that they would do something like that. But you have to understand this is what they did to what? Atone for their sins and atone for the sins of their people. And this was all a picture of what was to come. Um, Now, anyone who entered this chamber when he was not supposed to would be killed, would be killed. Now, being the high priest was a huge responsibility, and I want you guys to understand that as we look at, when we talk, when we compare the high priest to Jesus, and then we go through this text today. Um, So, knowing all that, 
And about the temple and the high priest, I hope that you will have a better understanding today and, and understand this passage in a deeper way. And we see the importance of the high priest. Okay, so just to review, if we go back just a little bit, we always want to review where we're at. So we're in the book of Hebrews, and we don't know who the author is. Uh, it could be Paul, it could be Barnabas, Luke, we're not sure, but this is the mystery that God has chosen, that we do not know who wrote it. And I like to think that that is uh, the reason so we can focus on the importance of the text and not the author, because what is the focus? The focus is the supremacy of Jesus. Now, we don't know who specifically the book is written to. We only know that it is written to people that are well-educated about the Old Testament uh, scriptures. Now, these were early Jewish Christians uh, who were falling back into, like, the rituals of uh, Judaism. And um, the author is looking at well-known stories, uh, and we've seen that every single week where he has pulled scripture that, from the Psalms, and we'll see that again today, that he pulls into what? To make a point so that they will understand, that they know, oh, I know this, and that is what the author is doing to draw them in. Now, we have seen that Jesus is superior, which is the theme of this book. He's more superior than what? We learned the angels. He's more superior than rituals, religion. He's more superior than Moses. And today we see that he's more superior than any earthly priest, than any earthly priest. So what is our big idea? Our big idea today is Jesus is superior to earthly high priests. Jesus is superior to earthly high priests. Now, as we go through this and study, I want you to see why that that is so important. This is the point of the author of Hebrews. Now, he is the great high priest. This is where we see that. We see there have been high priests, but he is the great high priest, which puts him above each and every high priest. So we will see exactly how Jesus is superior to all these priests as we go through the text today. So let's start in verse 14. It says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, since then, so we see the since then. That is connecting what we have learned before. But specifically, if we went back to Hebrews 2.17, when we look what was said there. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, talking about him being a high priest, comparing that, to make propitiation, that is the atonement, right, for the sins of the people. Now, as we go through this today, the author will develop this out to really explain what the high priest does and what it looks like um, and give us more details. And we'll understand why he is above the high priest. So, those... Those are our points today that we're going to kind of pull out. So how is Jesus superior to earthly priests? How is he superior to earthly priests? Well, the first thing we see here in verse 14 is Jesus passed through the heavens. Jesus passed through the heavens. Now, no earthly priest could do this. Um, Ephesians 4.10 says this. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. You know, Paul there making a point to the church, what? That he descended, what? He, Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. And after he resurrected, he ascended. So he who descended also ascended 
far above all the heavens, right? He passed through the heavens uh, that he might fill all things. Now, if you look at the temple and what it is, this is the picture that you see. And as I was studying this week, and I had this also in a class, this really fascinated me because as we looked at the temple, I've always heard about the temple and I always thought about it, but it is definitely, it is a picture of the cosmos, all right? And as you go into it, you see the holiest of holies is where the heavens where God is. So what did Jesus do? If he is the high priest, he passed through the heavens, all right? And that is where you have the curtain to the holy of holies. Uh, it says there, he is Jesus, the son of God. Then it says, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. So what does that mean exactly? That is an exhortation. That is a uh, hold fast means to cling to. And when we're talking about our confession, what is that? Our conf- like that we confess who Jesus is, our profession of faith, that we need to uh, cling to it. The opposite, if you want to think about the opposite of that, would be what? To fall away from your faith. And that is not what we have here. If you have confessed Jesus as Lord, you can cling to that. You can cling to that. Let us hold fast our confession. That's such a beautiful saying, and I love that he says it here. And I think it's very important. So I would ask, do you live a lifestyle that clings to your profession of faith? When you're going through suffering, when you're going through difficulties, are you clinging to it? Or is it just something that you just don't think about? It doesn't impact the way you live. All right, let's go on. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So you see four there. Four shows the motive for the holding fast. You are to cling to, so why? Because... We have this great high priest who sympathizes with us. Well, why does he sympathize with us? Because he has been tempted just like we have. And that is such an important point. When we think about God and we look at who Jesus is, we can understand that he can sympathize. Why? Because he's been tempted. Because he has suffered in, in these ways. So how is Jesus superior to earthly priests in this way? Jesus is without sin. Jesus is without sin. He is tempted, just as we are, right? But without sin, he lived a perfect life in his ministry. Only Jesus in his, per- in his perfection can be without sin. Uh, but we see what? That he can sympathize. And that's the thing that we have to remember, that he sympathizes with us. 1 Peter 2, uh, 21 says this, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So he committed no sin, right? He is perfect. And this is what makes him superior. This is what makes him above all. He sympathizes with us, what? In temptation. Now, if you think about temptation... Temptation is not the same as sin. And I think this is a key point that when you look at this, that you should take away from this. Because a lot of times we look at them as the same thing. But if we realize that all of us are tempted, right? Temptations are coming at us every single day. Are those sins? No. 
Because why, why, can we, why is that a truth? Because we know that Jesus was tempted and Jesus never sinned. So I don't know about you, like, I'll be just like random thoughts. My brain will just like go to places and I'm like, why did I even think that, you know? But when we act on thoughts or we act on temptations, that is what turns into sin, right? That is the difference. We need to be on guard against temptations. And temptations can come at us from every direction, right? It could be a temptation, what? To be lazy, a temptation to lust, a temptation to treat someone badly. Like all of these are temptations in our flesh that we can let anger come out. All of these are temptations. But in those, if you stop and you think and you don't act on that temptation, it is not sinning. He has sympathy in our weakness. That is such a beautiful thing to have in a Savior. In the moment, if you are tempted, go to him. That is an important point. When we are in temptation, what do we want to do? I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to hide from him. I don't want him to know I'm being tempted by something. It's either that or you want to be selfish and you're like, well... But that's not what you should do, what you should turn to him. Why? Because he sympathizes with our weakness. If you're tempted, go to him. It's never too late. We want to hide. We want to go be on our own. But we should go to him. And that's the invitation in the next verse. So verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in, in time of need. Now, this is an invitation, what? To the throne of grace. Now, when you think of a throne, now stop for a minute and think of a throne. In your mind, you picture what? Like a, a king's like, chamber and a big, intimidating, beautiful throne. But not only that, but I think of royalty and like, almost like intimidation. Like I, I would think if you were going to be in front of a throne, that you would be scared to death. Why? Because you probably don't want to be there. Because you're going to be judged, or you're going to be uh, something was going to be ordered to you. And I remember even uh, the book of Esther. If you think about the book of Esther, that was one of the things that Esther was so scared to do was go before the throne because what that could even cause death. She could be put to death in that circumstance. So you think about going to the throne. You think of intimidation. You think of fear. Now I don't want you to think about that because what does it say here? This is a throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. Jesus gives us what? Confidence to approach the throne. It's like a, uh, you don't have to be afraid. It's like a, I thought of it like a VIP pass that you're getting that, that you get, not because of who you are, you're not a very important person, but because of what he did, you have access to the throne. So how is Jesus superior to earthly priests? Jesus gives us confidence to draw near to the throne. Jesus gives us that confidence to draw near to the throne. Not fear, but confidence, even boldness to draw near to the throne. In Ephesians 3.12, Paul says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have boldness and access, but so important, with confidence we have confidence to go in there. We don't have to fear because of what Jesus did, because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. 
This is not a terrifying throne. This is a throne of grace. So it says there in Scripture what? We receive mercy and grace. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. So what is mercy? Mercy is, getting, uh, is not getting what we deserve. That is mercy. So what do we deserve? We deserve the wrath of God because we are born into sin. So mercy is not getting what we deserve. And what is grace? Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Getting what we do not deserve, which is the righteousness that we get because of what he did. Mercy and grace. I came across this in my reading this week, and I thought this was very interesting. And uh, ancient Jewish rabbis actually taught that God had two thrones. So one throne was for judgment, and the other, Joan, or other, the other throne was for mercy. So two different thrones, and you think about it, very two different things. And when you think about it, you would be hopeful that you'd be on the mercy side, but then there's also the judgment side. So two different thrones. Well, what is this here when we talk about the throne of grace? What does that do? That reconciles them together. And why does it reconcile them together as a throne of grace? Because of our mediator. Because of our mediator. So this is an invitation to the throne. And specifically it says to find that you may receive mercy and find grace when? To help in a time of need. Now I want you to think about that. Are you in a time of need? If you are in a time of need, this says here that you have confidence to go to the throne of grace and get mercy and grace. You have this confidence, not fear, not fear. We must take advantage of this invitation. If you have not taken advantage of that invitation, realize that it is there. All right, as we move on now, we switch from chapter 4 to chapter 5. And this is where he kind of, the author draws out the high priest and really explains what the earthly high priest looks like. Uh, so let's see what he says in verses 1 through 3. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So we see a process here that he is talking about what the high priest does and what his job is. It says, uh, now if we look at this part of the text, we see another comparison here, and the name is mentioned later. It is Aaron. So if you don't know who Aaron is, Aaron uh, was the high priest appointed with Moses. Now, Aaron, if you have the chance to study, Aaron's story is fantastic because you see somebody who was an older brother to Moses, right? He helped Moses through the Exodus. He actually spoke for him, served God in a way through the Exodus. But then we see many important things about Aaron where he is not perfect at all. For instance, the golden calf. If you know about the golden calf, that is when Moses was up on the Mount Sinai, and the Israelites were getting grumbly, and they were getting impatient. And so what did Aaron do? He tried to appease them, and he took all the gold, he melted it down, and made it into a golden calf so they could worship it. And you're like, wait, what? 
Like, how could Aaron, somebody who walked with Moses, who also talked with God, went all this way, and then he does something like this, makes a false idol for the Israelites? Well, he's not perfect. Because of fear, because of pressure, we don't know the the conditions there. But we see that him chosen as a high priest, not being perfect, what? He not only had to atone for his own sins, but then he atoned for the people. It says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So in his weakness, because he makes mistakes, that makes him compassionate for the other people that he is atoning for. If you look at the, uh, the uh, breastplate that they wear in that picture, or if you get a chance to study that more, you see there's 12 stones on that. And it's put over their heart. And why is that? Because each one of those stones represents one of the tribes of Israel. And it's to be placed over their heart. Why? To show compassion for these people. That is one of the things that um, they are known to do is have compassion. Why? Because he himself is beset with weakness. So when we look at Jesus, how does Jesus compare to this? So how is Jesus superior to earthly priests? Well, Jesus is without what? Weakness. He is without weakness in what he does. He is the great high priest without weakness, and we see this later in Hebrews. So Hebrews 7:28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You see the contrast there divided sharply. We have the, um, the high priests in their weakness. And then we see appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So let's look at Aaron. So in Exodus, we see that God appoints Aaron. So Exodus 28.1 says, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, so this is God talking to Moses, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, and Eliezer, and Ithamar. I just got done telling Dave, I told Dave before the service because we were talking about the names, and I said, man, you just got to say them with confidence. If you get to them, you're not sure, just say them with confidence. <clears throat> So in this, in Exodus 28.1, this whole chapter here that you look at is a beautiful picture of how he instates these high priests. And I highly encourage you, I put it in the the bulletin there that says, go study this, read through this. Uh, Chapter 28 and 29 even talks about uh, what they're supposed to do. It gives you a good idea of the expectations. God puts so much detail and care into this and who they are and what they are supposed to do. 43 verses in chapter 28. So go on to Leviticus 9, 7. It says this. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin uh, and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Now, we see there that that is a specific command that he is giving. But what is the big thing? That he has to offer a sin offering and a burnt offering for the high priest to what? To atone for his own sins. So he has to atone for his own sins. Then he does an offering for the people. So you see two offerings there. 
The comparison shows that Aaron had sin, right? Sin is equal to weakness is what we're looking about. Jesus is without sin and Jesus is without weakness. Jesus being perfect sacrificed himself for the atonement of the people. That is the greatest sacrifice. So if you think about the two sacrifices, this is what I want you to picture. So you have Aaron who goes in, has to make a sacrifice. What does he do? He makes a sacrifice first for himself, the first one, and then he makes one for the people. Two separate sacrifices, two things had to be killed. That is what had to be done. Now, if you look at Jesus and who he is, he only had to make one sacrifice. And what did he sacrifice? He sacrificed himself because he is the perfect sacrifice. That is the comparison that you need to see and why Jesus is superior. Jesus is without the weakness that is talked about here. He's without the sin. He is the greatest sacrifice. So this makes him superior to Aaron. He is the great high priest. All right, let's go on. Verses 4 through 6. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if we look at that, what do we see here? First of all, let's make this point that says, And no one takes this honor for himself. Now, that is an important thing. You, you didn't see priests say, well, I'll do it. Like, I, I, hey, whoa, I'll do that. me. Can I be the high priest? That's not how it worked. They did not appoint themselves. God appointed Aaron. God appointed the high priest. So just like Aaron was appointed, we see what about Jesus. Jesus is God's son, and how is Jesus superior to earthly priests? Jesus is God's son appointed by God. Jesus is God's son appointed by God to be this this, uh, great high priest. Jesus did not exalt himself. Remember, he was obedient to the Father's plan and what he was doing. John 8, 53 says, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? They were confronting Jesus. And the, and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. Jesus talks here about how the father glorifies the son. And that is what we see. He was appointed for this, just like the uh, earthly high priest Now, when we look at this, we see two psalms here. See, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are both being referenced here in what he's talking about. Psalm 2-7 says this, I will tell of the decree the Lord Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, we look at this and we see why is he putting this in here. Well, he's putting this in here to make the point. He's talking about who Jesus is. And he is God's son, which is why he is referencing this psalm. Then the next psalm, if it goes on, mentions a specific name. So Psalm 110, verse 4, says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
Now, Melchizedek, so who is Melchizedek when we look at this and we study this? Well, that's a great mystery when we look back in Scripture to see who he is. And actually, here in a couple weeks in chapter 7, it's like a whole chapter is dedicated to Melchizedek. But today I want to give you just a, a piece of that so you understand what is being referenced here. So in Genesis 14, uh, 18 through 20, it says this. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now we look at this and it's talking about Abram, right? Abraham. So what has happened here that God has has put this priest, he's a king, right? And now he is a high priest who has come to bless Abraham and what he's doing. Now, the mystery here is there's no lineage. You don't know where he came from. You don't know who he is. And you don't know his background. And And it gets into the discussion of who is this and why. And why is this a mystery that God has given us? And it's interesting if you dig in this, theologians, some Theologians believe that this could actually be Jesus. Um, it's called a theophany. So theophany is when Jesus appears in the Old Testament. It's God appearing in physical form. Like if you think about uh, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and then there was another guy who came, right? That's a theophany. That's God in the flesh who appeared there before him. That is Jesus. Or also when Jacob wrestled God. Well, he was wrestling with a physical person. So who was that? And they say, that is a theophany, that is Jesus. Well, that is another theory that is here, that this is who Melchizedek is. And there's so many similarities that pair up to, like, well, he, he's not only just a high priest, but he was also a king. You see? And there's no other lineage. There's no background. Well, Jesus is forever. From the beginning to the end, Jesus is forever. But, so we focus on that. So what should we take away from that, though? What I want you to remember is a sovereign God chooses who he wants for high priest. A sovereign God chooses who he wants for the high priest. And Jesus did not exalt himself. He was appointed by the Father. He was appointed by the Father. That is why he is superior. Why? Because he is God's son. All right, let's go to verses 7 and 8. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, this here, all of a sudden, it's like it takes a left turn in what the author was talking about. And all of a sudden, he's talking about Jesus uh, in the days of his flesh. So what is he doing? He said, I want you to remember what Jesus did. All right, specifically talking about leading up to his crucifixion. He what? Offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To who? To the Father. And that is what it is referring to here. We see loud cries and tears. What does that mean? That means he suffered. He was suffering. So how is Jesus superior to earthly priests here? Jesus is superior because Jesus was obedient in suffering. Jesus was obedient in suffering. So as we look at this, we see this as a reference to the time before his crucifixion. If we go to Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, with the cries and the tears, you see, this wasn't an easy thing. But he was what? He was obedient. He fell on his face, crying out to his father. He suffered, and it did not come easy for him. But he obeyed perfectly the father's will. Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there, that is the perfect verse for talking about Jesus' obedience. Philippians chapter 2 really talks and focuses in on that and who he is and how he humbled himself all the way to death. And he was obedient. He is compassionate to our suffering. Why? Because he suffered. He's not a God who doesn't understand. No, he suffered. If Jesus suffered and was obedient, this, I always like to think back to this. If Jesus suffered and was obedient, why do we think that we shouldn't suffer? You know, that's the reality that we always come up against. Why shouldn't we suffer? You know, we think, well, no, I've accepted Christ and my life will be fantastic. There will be nothing wrong. Every day will be sunshine and nothing will go wrong. That is not true. And if we look at Jesus, if he was obedient in his, his suffering, we know we can expect suffering. That's what the whole book of 1 Peter is about, enduring suffering. We are going to suffer. But what we need to remember is he is compassionate to that in our suffering. That's why we need to draw near to the throne in confidence, in confidence. All right, last two verses here. Hebrews 5, 9, and 10. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So first we see that he is being made perfect. Now it says being made perfect. Does that mean like Jesus wasn't perfect before and then all of a sudden he was, because of that he now is perfect? No, that's not what that means. Jesus was always perfect, but, he, but what he did was perfect. Being made perfect, he fulfilled his, perfect, his purpose. That is what the perfection is. He fulfilled his purpose, his obedience to the Father, to become what? The source of salvation. This is the big one. This is the big one. How is Jesus superior to earthly priests? Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. He is the source of eternal salvation. He is the only way to salvation. He is the one and only source. If we go back in Hebrews, Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. There is that other idea of that perfection through suffering. But it was fitting. So why was it fitting? Because he was the only one who could fit that. Like he was the only one who could do that. There it also talks about in Hebrews 2.10, for whom and by whom all things exist. And what is that talking about? That's talking about his deity and who he is. He is the founder. He is the source. 
He is the perfect one. That is why we say, not just high priest, the what? Great high priest. He is the great high priest. Now, if we look at that, and this, it also talks about the source of eternal salvation, and we don't want to skip, or skip over this piece, because I think this is an important piece. To all who, what? Obey him. All who obey him. And I, I think we should stop and just kind of think about that for a second, because I think that's very, very important. So these are believers. If you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, that means what? You will obey. Obey means what? It also means to abide in Christ. Well, in 1 John 3.24, it says this. Whoever keeps his commandments, whoever keeps his commandments, if you're keeping his commandments, what are you doing? You're obeying, right? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Keeping his commands means obeying. And that is what a believer, that's what we should do. But here in 1 John, I think it's so important that we have been given the spirit. And that is what it's saying. To what? If we need to obey, we should be going to the spirit. We should be seeking guidance and wisdom daily from the Holy Spirit to help us obey. That is where we need to be going. You know, as we become a Christ follower, you know, if you've been a Christ follower since you were young or if you're a recent Christ follower, I want you to know the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God has given. What? To guide us, to help us to understand, to help us to understand Scripture and we should be going to the Holy Spirit daily. The problem is we think, oh, well, we're a Christian. So well, now I can do everything on my own. I don't need anybody to help me. I'll make all these good decisions. No. You need to be going to the Scripture. You need to be going to God's Word. You need to be reading. You need to be praying. You need to be seeking the guidance from the Holy Spirit, saying, lead me in this. Help me make this decision. Show me in your Word what I should be doing here. So Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. All right, so through all this, we see that Jesus is superior, superior to earthly high priests in uh, a lot of ways here. So he passed through the heavens. He is without sin. He gives us confidence to draw near the throne. Uh, he is also without weakness. And he is appointed by the Father and obedient to, his, uh, to the Father's plan. And he is the source of eternal salvation. So as we look at that, what is our next step today? Our next step is this. I'm going to make it super easy. Two words. Obey him. Obey him. We see that in scripture. If you are here today and you're a Christ follower, then you should be obeying him. He is the great high priest. And I want you to think about this. He is the great high priest. But is he your great high priest? That is an important distinction because you can say all day that he's, well, yeah, he's the great high priest. We learned about that in church. We studied that. Yeah, he's the great high priest. But I want to know, is he your great high priest? Is he your mediator in your life that brings you back in the right relationship with God? So the first thing to obey, you need to surrender. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower and you're hearing this and you're like, whoa, there's a lot of information. To surrender your life, you have to understand what? That you are born into sin. 
that we are deserving of the wrath of God, but because Christ is our mediator, because he's the perfect uh, sacrifice, he's the one who died on the cross, he chose to do that on his own, and what? He made the atonement, the sacrifice, just like the high priest did, for us and took our sin. And what? We get righteousness because of that. And if you're here today and you haven't done that, hopefully you'll be like, well, yeah, I want to do that. Tell me how to do that. Well, I would love to talk to you after service then, and then we could talk about what that looks like and how that practically is. So if you surrender and obey, you can decide that today. I put that down. I didn't mean that to rhyme. If you surrender and obey, you can decide that today. Uh, let's see. It's not just a one-time prayer, but it's a heart transformation. And I want you to think about that. Because a lot of times in our culture and the way we're raised, we think, well, I said a prayer like when I was 10 years old. But this is a life transformation. This is a heart regeneration thing. That you will live a life that obeys. And you will do this daily. So if you have surrendered, are you obeying daily? Draw near to the throne of grace. What? With confidence. With confidence. Hold fast our confession. What does hold fast mean? Cling to your confession every single day. All of us, each and every one of us are in need of salvation. That's, there's nobody here that's like, well, I don't need that. I'm good. No, everyone, if you are breathing, you need salvation. And Jesus is the founder of salvation. He is the only way. Um, I want to end with Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I think this is so appropriate. And I ended with this the last time I was preaching because it's, it comes back to this invitation again. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this: "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." And last week, what did we learn? Rest is also salvation. You will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a beautiful invitation. Draw close. Go near to the throne in confidence. Get on your knees and surrender each and every day. He is the source of eternal salvation. Remember, when we talk about high priests, he is supreme above all high priests. Any earthly high priest he is the great high priest. So obey him today. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. What a blessing it is to be able to read from your word. And Father, to see the picture that you have given us of the great high priest. And Father, you, there's so much that we can learn from the Old Testament and what you were pointing towards in, in your son, our savior. So Father, we're so thankful that we could read this, that you can um, Reveal to us by the help of the Holy Spirit uh, these truths that we can just cling on to. So, Father, I just pray for each and every person here. If there is someone here, Father, that, that is wanting to come near to the throne, Father, I pray today is that day that they make that decision. And I am hopeful for that. And, Father, and I just pray that each and every one of us as believers that we never want to take our eyes off you, that we want to cling to you and draw near to that and to your throne with confidence. So Father, we are humbly before you today, just thankful. We know we don't deserve it, but we want to give you all the praise uh, for it. 
We want to just glorify you with all that we do. So Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.